The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. Hi, my name is Dr. Greg Gifford. I'm a faculty here at the Masters University, a biblical counselor, a pastor, and an author. What you believe about people greatly shapes the way that you care for people, the way that you respond to people. You see, if, if you get your categorizations of people right, then what takes place is you get your care for people right. But unfortunately, if you get your categorizations of people wrong, you get your care for people wrong. Today, I want to talk about how we think biblically of the heart, but I kind of wrestled with that title, to be honest. Thinking biblically about the heart, I, I wrestle with maybe I should just say thinking biblically about us or thinking biblically about myself or thinking biblically about people. Because when we talk about the heart, we're talking about people. We're talking about what you believe about people. You see, it's an anthropological conversation. So I, most of us aren't saying anthropology in our daily conversations, but what we mean is it's the study of people. It's what the Bible teaches about people. You'll find that if you're in a culture that has unhelpful categorizations for people, that's significant. Or maybe worse yet, you're surrounded by a culture that has wrong categorizations for people. Well, that's, that's extremely worse or, or that's extremely terrible because what's going to take place is now if you have a wrong categorization of people or a wrong thought about people that's unbiblical and untrue, then your care for people will be shaped by that wrong categorization. So that's why I kind of stuck with the heart or a thinking biblically about the heart title. You see, the heart is an anthropological conversation, but when you think of heart, you may think of it in a way that culture has already predetermined. You see, in my household, we love Disney. Where we live, we're probably two hours from Disneyland. And so there, there are times where we've had passes to be able to go to Disney. And uh, trust me, we use them more than we should have. What Disney does is it communicates something about your heart. In fact, it was just a few years ago when a short came out by Disney called Inner Workings. If you've seen that short, what takes place in it is there is this man who's really torn by his heart, kind of this exciting, flamboyant, craving organ, and then also his mind, that which he knows to be the right thing. The mind is kind of the rational, the logical, and the heart is the impulsive, the excited one. So this, this great tug takes place because there's kind of this duty of going to work, and yet the heart wants to go surfing. There's this duty to eat healthily, yet the heart wants pancakes and bacon. And so there's that great dichotomy. And implicitly what's being communicated is that we have this divide of maybe what we know and what we want, or what's exciting and fun, or like the boring rigor of, well, I gotta go to work today and put in my nine hours. Those are implicit teachings about people. And as you watch that, it's entertaining, no doubt. It's a lot of fun. It reminds me how much I love pancakes. But as you watch it, you're also picking up on an anthropology. You see, sometimes if you're not cautious, you watch a Disney film and you think to yourself, wow, I really need to follow my heart to be true to myself or to be genuine. It would be disingenuine of me not to listen to my own heart, would it not? I need to protect my heart. I need to, to not let anyone trample my heart. Maybe there's some like Disney princess song playing right now in your mind as you think through how we must protect our hearts. So that, that cultural expectation perhaps could be no better illustrated than every February 14th. 
Now, February 14th might be a byword for some of you, but that's Valentine's Day here in the U.S. So what that looks like is that we celebrate love. And most likely, when you think of the heart, you think of some type of Valentinian understanding of the heart, meaning this, that there's a little cherub, and it has a little cute arrow. And with the arrow, what takes place is you now can be hit by the arrow and be in love. So on Valentine's Day, we get these little cards, maybe those little chalk candies, and we pass them out to people that are meaningful. Back in grade school, we take the courage and we pass it to our crush and say, will you be my Valentine? And there's this heart on the front. And implicitly, what we're communicating is we love. We love, and the heart loves. And so that Valentine's Day understanding of love, what it does is it it seems to communicate that there is a function of the heart and that primary function is to love. Yet, whether or not you would agree with love being the dominant function of our heart or not, whether or not you would agree with that, what you see is that there is this implicit expectation. So if I were to say to you, I gave you my heart, you're starting to appeal back to maybe a Valentine's Day understanding. It's like, hey, Gifford, I don't really want your heart. Or, hey, uh, Shouldn't you give your heart to your wife? Doesn't that make sense? Well, why are you thinking that way? Why? Because those are cultural expectations of the heart. Our culture has informed what we believe about man, and in particular, the heart. So when we begin to get at the center of who we are, the center of our being, we're talking about what the Bible would call the heart. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab it. And there will be times throughout our lectures where I'll reference certain passages. And I'd actually like for you to read along with me in your own scripture. So grab your Bible and let's go to Proverbs 4. We'll get there in a moment. But when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's speaking about this overarching control center of who we are. Kind of the reason for why we do the things that we do. Now, if I were to ask you the question, why do you do the things that you do? What makes you tick? Why do you get up in the morning? Why'd you respond that way? Why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? When I begin to ask those questions in the counseling room, what I'm getting at is the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue. And you know what? Sometimes I'll get responses like, well, I said that because that's what they said to me. You know, I was unkind to them because they were unkind to me. Or I'll get responses that maybe would say, I, I did that because of my body. You know, I had a headache, so I was kind of snippety at that point. Okay, I wasn't feeling well, so I was kind of crabby. Uh, I'll get responses that, that explain why you do what you do based off of things that are happening outside of us. Everything from my body to the way that I was raised to my environment. An environment, you can think of things like your body, you can think of things like your workplace, uh, your school environment, all of those would be part of your environment. But when I begin to ask the question, why do you do what you do in the counseling room, I'll regularly hear one of those answers. I do what I do because of the way that I was raised, because of you know the, these pains that my body's going through right now, because of this environment, or you fill in the blank with what that looks like. Yet, when the Bible speaks about why you do what you do, it actually locates why you do what you do, not out there as if my environment or my culture or my body or my kids. 
It actually speaks about why you do what you do as being in here within me. That's significant. That's a huge claim in and of itself, is it not? Because now, through all of the theories of human motivation, the Bible's beginning to offer clarity on that motivation, and it's that your motivation isn't something that's happening out there. They did that, and that's why I'm motivated. No, it starts in here. It starts within what the Bible most frequently calls your heart. So let me show you this passage from Proverbs 4, and then we'll explain a little bit about the term heart. Proverbs 4, 23, it says this. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's a, that's a significant statement, all right? Keeping your heart with all vigilance, guarding your heart, some of your translations might say. Both would be adequate way of expressing the same idea, that there is this level of protection that we are offering to our heart. But when you hear that, maybe your mind goes back to the Disneyland experience, that I have to guard my heart because I don't want you to hurt it. I don't want you to trample it. If I give it to you and you break it, what a foolish thing on my part. But that's not the immediate context of why you guard your heart. You see, the immediate context of verse 23 is that you're seeing your heart has paramount importance. You're guarding your heart with all vigilance because of the paramount importance of your heart. Well, what is that paramount importance according to verse 23? Out of it flow the springs of life. I'm not guarding my heart because it's fragile and delicate and I don't want you to trample it. I'm guarding my heart because that heart is the control center. I was in college and one of the seminary students would preach every two days in our chapel. It was great. It was a great time to hear just kind of a, a deep expositional sermon. And, and in college, I found that I was greatly challenged for the first time by hearing certain things. And I, and I heard a seminary student preach through Proverbs 4.23, and he used an illustration that stood with me, and it's been 15 years later. He said, it's, it's like a prisoner, that you're guarding your heart like a prisoner. You, you're guarding your heart because of what can happen if that prisoner gets out. Now, does that mean that you have the worst prisoner? No, it doesn't. We'll talk more about that. But what it means is that you're, you're protecting your heart from getting out, not others from getting in. That was a fascinating concept to me. Here in Proverbs 4.23, we're seeing that we are guarding our heart because of the centrality of our heart. It is the springs of life. One of the most succinct descriptions of what your heart does, it's the center of who you are. So if you were really to define heart in the immaterial way, the biblical use of the term, we would say that your heart is the control center. It's the hub of your immaterial self. The Bible most commonly uses the term heart, but often you'll see soul, spirit. You'll see things like kidneys and gut also translated. So when you hear heart, the Bible's attempting to communicate to you kind of this totality of your inner man, the seat of your emotions, the seat of your thoughts, the seat of your volition. When you begin to see that that heart is at the center of all that you do, well, it makes somewhat sense why your physiological heart is located where it is, does it not? I mean, your physiological heart is located central to your body. It's pulsating blood to your extremities. And in pulsating blood to your extremities, it's this great representation of your immaterial heart. 
Your immaterial heart is at the center of your immaterial self. It's why you do the things that you do. So when I begin to understand a biblical definition of the heart, what takes place is I say, well, you know what? I can appreciate the way that culture might represent the heart, but yet there are going to be some fundamental differences for how I understand the heart based off of what Scripture teaches. That the heart loves, yes, but it doesn't only love. The heart has cognition and volition, but that's not all. But that fundamental perspective of maybe a divided or a segmented heart, I hope to show you that that's not true, that the Scripture doesn't teach that you're compartmentalized and that there's mind over here and that there's desires over here. No, that you're this, this center of, that your heart is this control center for all of those, your desires, your thoughts, your actions, and so forth. So as an overview then, how do we think about ourselves biblically? Well, one of the first ways we do that is we understand the heart. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Masters University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.